The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad. The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bateman goes in and silence. And I'm like, that sucks. You know, he walks out. He's like verbatim now. I won't be getting that role. <laughs> and he sits beside me. The two forlorn guys. Third guy goes in and it's deafening. The laughter is deafening. Like they just, he's the funniest guy ever. You know what I mean? And they poke the heads out and they look at Jason. And I'm like, you guys can go. <laughs> you know? I'm like, okay, thank you. Hi, my name is Tom Cavanaugh, and Brian is an equal opportunity employer because he's hired me, a Canadian, to be on his podcast. Thank you for having me. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Thank you for joining us on a uh, very special episode of Off the Beat. It's going to be a wild and bumpy ride. I can assure you that I am your host, Brian Baumgartner, but more importantly, my guest today is, well, he's very, very impressive. Some might even say he's a superhero. Okay, well, not a superhero, but a supervillain. That's right. With me today is The Flash's Tom Cavanaugh, a.k.a. Sherlock Wells, a.k.a. Reverse Flash, a.k.a. Harrison Wells. Tom is, well, he's amazing. He is so amazing that he plays multiple versions of his character on The Flash. Now, I don't even know what the alter egos of Kevin Malone would look like, but hey, I guess I guess I'll have to ask Tom. Today, he's going to get into all of it from his early days working in Canada 
to joining the cast of Ed with our old friend Julie Bowen to starring on Broadway uh, to his new game show. Hey, Yahoo, man, he can he can do it all. He can do it all. He can play it all. And he can make me laugh. Here we go, everybody. Buckle up. Tom Cavanaugh. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. Hi, Tom. Hey. How are you? How's the guy? I mean, the guy's okay today. How's, how's the guy? He's good today. He's good. I'm not complaining. Well, that's good. Nobody will care anyway. Nobody Let's cares. Let's be honest. They don't they, care. They say they care if it, it's advantageous to their positioning, <laughs> but they don't really care. No, they don't care at all. Why would they care? They well, they care because you're famous, Brian. But oh. that's just again, that's just that's just trying to that's their own agenda. They're advancing their position, you know. Make, well, that makes some sense for them, right? Then. Sure, that sure. pretend to it's care. Like, yeah. It's like me and Obama. It's the same <laughs> thing that everybody they they don't want me. They want to talk to the president. It's the same. I get you get used to. You know how it is. I get it. No, I yeah. totally get it. Align yourself with the president and everybody wants to crash on your couch. That's how that goes. Yeah, no, exactly. By the way, can we get him on next week? Yeah, look, I'm just going to, I'll talk to, I'll, look, I'll, I'll talk to B. Okay. But, you know, like he's one of those guys, he's going to say yes to everything. Okay. And then his people are going to contact you mm-hmm. and they're going to be like, Barack loves your podcast. Like you'll get him on for sure. You'll get him on. Yeah. But. No, does right. it happen? Does it happen next week? I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe okay. it does. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not saying no. I'm going to put in a good word, but d- does it happen next week? No guarantee. I mean, look, I have seen a letter that he wrote that says Thursday night is the office nights at the White House. Well, then, I've I've seen the note, right? Well, then I feel like I feel I feel next week is a shoe in. It's I feel already like something done. must have slipped through the cracks for him to not have done it already. I know. Or he hasn't <laughs> been invited yet. Maybe we Maybe gotta, it's as simple as that. Maybe that should happen. He's first. whiling away, he's like twiddling his thumbs, biding his time, just kind of like not trying to be a dick about it. Like I'm sure those guys will give me an invite when they yeah, give me an invite. At some point in time. Yeah. I know. Like he's basically how I was up until today. Yeah. And now, it, time. and now it's here and yeah, now it's here. Here we are. Um, actually we're basically blood brothers. That's the wrong term, but I'm not going to use the other one. Julie <laughs> Bowen. I, I was Julie Bowen's on-screen love interest right immediately following you. Boom. Well, Done. And she was very clear. She was very clear to me that I was a rung on a ladder. <laughs> she was very upfront about it because if you know, Julie, you know, she's honest. She's, she's like, look, very honest. she's like, I'm going places. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. going to be you, mm-hmm. Brian. And then if I have a shot at it, Ty Burrell. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so I just respect the honesty, right? Like she's like, a gal's got to start somewhere. Nice yeah. to meet you. I'm Julie Bowen, Ivy League educated, swear <laughs> like a sailor, smart as they come, whip snap. 
<laughs> yeah. And then that, see you later. Yeah. That is that is so true. Swears yeah. like a sailor, sure. but is super smart. Yeah. Yeah. And, She's like a whole bunch of things. And delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Enough about Barack and Julie Bowen. You famously, I would say famously, grew up I'm gonna in Canada. Say, I'm gonna say, no matter what you say next, it's not going to be true. Yeah. <laughs> famously. Like, if you proceed, Tom Cavanaugh, and then famously, it's just no. like, oh, you're out. <clears throat> like grew a big up, cross, a big X. Grew up in Canada. <laughs> sure, I did, but not famously. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I knew that before I actually researched. I feel like, oh, well, yeah, that's he's from because, Canada. That's because you know Julie, and she's like, you know what Canadians are good for? <laughs> <laughs> Stepping stones. Uh, so I'm sure that's how that came about. And you're just in your head, you're like, I guess people know that about him. Like, no, no. <laughs> you were the guy that followed the guy. Um, so, you, yeah. you grew up in Canada, but then Ghana. Yeah. So sure. you how much time did you spend there? Well, I just gotta say, I want to congratulate you on doing some vestige of homework because by God, like you've got enough stuff going on in your day. You don't have got, to look up. I've look got that. pages. That's I've terrible. Pa- we don't need that. My friend, first off, we've got pages. Your viewers slash listeners don't need anything. Any information on me is not going to further them. They're like, Oh, you spent some time in Africa. So what, <laughs> you know, but yes, <laughs> I did. Let's get it out of the way. Yes. You did. Uh, my, my parents are teachers. We were in Africa. We grew up without film and television and any of the modern stuff that the current society has. Um, when I can say, from my own experience, tremendous way to grow up. And then we moved back to North America for like high school years, basically. And um, we had to learn to swear and play organized sports. And that worked out just fine. <laughs> you say it's a fantastic way to grow up. Why was it fantastic? How did, how did it shape you? Well, I have no basis of comparison. Well, that's all right, fair. Right? So I don't I don't really know, but I look at I don't consider social media to be healthy and this was like the precursor to some of that was just whatever we had as youngsters growing up in the 1800s. And so we basically ran around raiding coconut farms and chasing snakes and um inventing things mentally. I think one of the reasons I am an actor is because the um, you your imagination was everything. Like you just had to either if you were going to have a, a good day, you also had to have a good imagination. There was no other stimuli, really. You right. know, I mean, apart from the aesthetic beauty of the dark continent. So we, you know, we were always we're making up games. We're 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 playing games, and uh, I guess still doing it today. Right. My sister and I were just talking about riding big wheels through the woods, like fast downhill playing Dukes of Hazard when I yeah. was a kid. Like sure. that was what we were doing and playing and embodying the roles. Obviously, you're talking about stuff like that. Were you also performing at all in front of people? Was that a part of the culture there in Ghana or? Uh, I would say not. No, I'm assuming whoever, you know, we had friends that we would just run around and, you know, like I say, do things. And I think, you know, like everybody was kind of like, you know, you're, you're whatever, you're six, seven, eight years old, nine years old, you're showing off, you're doing whatever the thing is. So is it performing? I I guess it is, you know, but there's no organized, Hey, we're doing a a school play kind of thing. I I think we did. I think, I think we did the King and I. 
Um, but, you know, like it's an outdoor theater. I, I remember vividly the parents because, you know, rem- imagine being a parent and not being able to pr- pr- provide any kind of pageantry. You know, if you're going to if people are going to take their kids to whatever the latest, you know, like Pixar releases or right, that right. that's an event. Right. Or this thing right. is coming out. And we had zero, none of that. You know, so if you think about the amount of time that today's youth in, in many ways necessarily so spent time in front of a uh, a screen, you know, it's it's kind of stunning to think about an existence where nothing like that was an option. And so what do you do with your time? In Africa, it was too hot to have school in the afternoon. So we had school from 830 to 1230. And then in the afternoon, what were you going to do? So it was books, 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 and play, 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 and imagination, imagination, imagination. But I do remember the the adults deciding that, you know, they needed to offer the kids something. And back in the day, there was stuff like the Carol Burnett Variety Show. And so they sort of did a, a mimicked version of something like that, where, you know, like Sonny and Cher would come up and sing, and then there would be a comedy bit, and then there'd be a musical <laughs> bit, right? you know, and the kids were outdoors and on front of this like stage watching these, you know, amateur uh, performers. But I remember as a child sitting there going, this is incredible. You know, the, all the lights and it's darker thing and the palm trees and the stars. You're like, this, this is amazing. I have no idea if that had any other kind of like effect on me, but under those circumstances, it was kind of amazing to see performance up in front of you. Yeah. What about music? Are you singing? Are you making up songs? Are you performing songs? Are you my mother's a music teacher, so yeah, all the time. Okay. And she went she went back to Africa when the, there's five children, they all we were all like uh, university age and um she went back for another three years and again was heavily involved in the music and um watching the influence of a, a small town Canadian woman, you know, like take the music that she knew and then like have a mishmash of all the African culture music that she was exposed to. Um, and putting on those types of performances, very, very cool. So the music was, you know, from as long back as I can remember, always, okay. always in the house. Like everybody in the family plays instruments, everybody sings, everybody, everybody performs. When they moved back to North America, my mother was a head of a choir and she was doing community theater and the, the head of like the, the music acts and stuff like that. So it was, it's always around. And I got my start. I don't know about you. Like, did you, I, I got my start doing musicals. Yes. Um, well, that's partly why I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, where it was did you believe that that's what you were going to do? Musical musical theater, singing? How how many musicals have you done? Talk singing? Pfft, there's nobody better. There's nobody better. <laughs> you need you need general notes surrounded by rhythm with a hint of comedy. Pfft, I'm your man. You're, Rex Harrison you're, Rex Harris had nothing on me. <laughs> Not one nothing. <laughs> But great, great get reference. into real, real singing. I mean, I did it when I was a kid. I was in the choir yeah. and then I was in the special choir and had the solos and stuff. It's not pretty. I mean, for me. And then I just, I just started, you know, once I graduated from school and became, and really moving into college and really studying, the music went away. I just, mm. yeah. I mean, I think I knew in my soul that was not going to be my path. Got it. Uh, unlike you. But you could, you could always like, that's the whole thing. It's like, it's funny that you say that, like, and I know you're kind of like semi tongue in cheek about it, but truly 
like my experience with the musicals has been you want to have somebody who can perform and you know tell tell the story i think the audience is nowhere near caught up in the snobbery of like how great is 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 a voice here let me give you a perfect example has alan cumming done your podcast yet no but i but i have to say I wasn't like one of those like oh musicals are dumb like musical snobbery. It wasn't like, that. Like truly. by the way, you might not know this, but like Julie Bowen, <laughs> right? Well, right? Julie Bowen will like she'll. I went to see a musical. We you know we shot a show we did together in New York. I'd go see a musical with her. Her fingernails would dig into my <laughs> into my thighs <laughs> as people began as they broke into song. She's like, I don't understand why they break into song. It never works. I hate it when they, I cringe when they break into song. I feel so embarrassed for them when they break into song. <laughs> I, yeah, I wasn't there, but I just, I just kind of had stopped, you know, in my trips to New York or whatever. It was, it was all more straight theater, but I saw Alan Cumming very early on in, in Cabaret and this it, is what I'm talking about. It was transformative. He's spectacular. And He's this, spectacular. Is the whole, this is the whole thing. So I've worked with him, uh, you know, uh, now and again. He, I, I defy you to go, is he a good or a bad singer? Uh, Alan's so honest and abrupt and, and you know, he's just so, such a powerful persona. I think he's spectacular, but I do know it's all performance. Like he embodies whatever story he's telling in that song and it's got nothing to do with like quality of voice or whatever the thing is. It gets somebody, you know, acclaimed as, as a singer. And it's interesting to, to watch somebody who can do that, where you're just like, you're a lead on Broadway and nobody's sniping at your singing qualities because you're telling the story. And he, he's, you know, Cabaret is a perfect example. Spectacular in Cabaret. Like just un, untouchable, you know. And I did that play. 20 years prior to that. And some of, some of the Broadway plays that I've done, I know for a fact, and everybody who's in the company can back me up. I'm the worst singer on the stage. Always like there's, there's nobody poorer than, than me. And there, you know, I, people that's not self-deprecating. That's not modest. That's just plain facts, son. And, and if you were to line people up and go, who's the worst? They'd be like, uh, yeah, uh, Tom, Tom's the worst. He's clearly the worst, you know? And yeah, right. like you get cast because I, I can, I can tell, uh, hopefully I'm telling a story and that's why I, I you know, like Alan Cumming is like, he, He's telling a story. You're wrapped. You're paying attention. He's adding, like you said, when you're talking about yourself, you want a bit of humor, whether you didn't think there was going to be humor. He can do that. We can do that. And suddenly people are like, they're accepting. They're not like, let me see your uh, card carrying membership of uh, your high C. Don't have it. You know, like that's not, it's, it's not part of it. And that was my experience for a decade. The only other thing about that is when you're making your living in musical theater, there's constant trauma <laughs> At the fact that you suck. <laughs> so here's a, here's a story I don't think I've ever told, um, not even my own podcast. By the way, mates, Mike and Tom eat snacks. So um, I was auditioning for the out-of-town thing of this thing was going to Broadway. Philip Rose, a, a kind of acclaimed New York City director, and uh, I had to do an acting scene uh, with the venerable John Cullum where I asked for his daughter's hand in marriage. It was a five-page scene as they write in theater. And I was like, if I can get to that, we're going to be okay, but you got to sing. Right. And so I practiced my song. And by this time I was like, you know, a good 10 years or so into the career musical theater. And I was like, I knew that don't come in and sing old man river. 
<laughs> right. So I found this thing by this guy, Bernard Cribbins, who wrote a song called The Bird on the Second Floor. And it's just basically like you say, spoken. It's not spoken. He sings, a jolly old moon's going to shine tonight. Whichever way you look at it, I'm all right. Wait, sing for the bird on the second floor. I'm telling yeah. all the birds that I used to date. It's been a giggle. Please don't wait. Since I saw the bird on the second floor. Something like that. And then he was a little, <laughs> there's this little pattern in between like, uh, Oh, oh, second floor. Why don't they get a lift in here? Still no matter. What is it? Thursday, steak and kidney pie. Whoa, lovely. Because there's something she has got. Right? You know, people are coming in singing Old Man River. And they're like, then this guy walks in like, and they're just like, what the fuck is happening? You know? What's this guy doing? You know? Uh. <laughs> like to distract them from the fact that I'm not, I, I'm no good singing wise. You know, so I, I had that ready to go in my back pocket. And then I was like nervous. Like, hopefully I can sing good enough. And the guy who went in in front of me, you know how this is. You can hear the person in the room yeah. ahead of you. Yeah. Like I, I, I have a, a great thing where um, Jason Bateman and I were reading for uh, the lead role in an ABC pilot. And there was a third guy. And Bateman wasn't like doing everything at the time. It was pre-arrested development. Right. But I knew he was a super talented actor. Very nice guy. And so I got into the studio that afternoon and it had been like a love fest. And I was like, oh. People are like, yeah, they love you. They love you. They love you. And you're going you're gonna to be great. This is your role, blah, blah. You're the front runner, all this stuff, which you never want to hear. Yeah. Then I go in and I do the exact same read. And I know the fact that the read was good. Maura Tierney, this is all name dropping. Kevin Bacon told me never drop a name, but this is your podcast. And I'll never forget her looking at me like, as the silence descended and tumbleweeds blew through and you could hear, a distant wolf thing in the background. And nobody said anything, just kind of stared at me. And I was like, Hmm. And I was like, so I walk out, I went in first. I'm like, holy crap. And then they make you wait around. Right. Right. And so, so you're just like, so you can like then be told to in person, you were awful. You know? And so <laughs> you can and, go now. Yeah. So I did all the same stuff. I watched silence. Bateman goes in and silence. And I'm like, that sucks. You know, he walks out he's like verbatim now. I won't be getting that role. <laughs> and he sits beside me. The two forlorn guys, third guy goes in and it's deafening. The laughter is deafening. Like they just, he's the funniest guy ever. You know what I mean? And they poke their heads out and they look at Jason. And I'm like, you guys can go. <laughs> you know? I'm like, okay, thank you. I don't know why I started. Oh yeah. So then, so I'm auditioning for this uh, play that's going to Broadway and the guy goes in in front of me and guess what he sings, Brian? Old Man River. Yeah. And he starts off like, and I can hear everything. And like, Old Man River. And he builds to this giant crescendo and the walls of the place are shaking. It just keeps rolling along. <laughs> you know? And he comes out and there's like applause. Like, like you know, 20 people in the room and you can hear him clapping. And then it's like, <laughs> door opens. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so... So I go in. On the and second I'm like, floor. On the second like, floor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is what the director says to me. You know, they're Jason Batemaning me. Oh, he, no. he literally gets up from the table. He's like 160 years old, and he walks over in his like tweed coat. You know, his big, big glasses. Comes over. And he kind of he does this. He crosses his arms. He kind of like purses his lips and kind of like rubs his chin. And he's like, "Did you bring anything real to sing?" <laughs> <laughs> and so that I go so that didn't work <laughs> so I say why don't you uh, give me what I ha will have to sing in the play which kind of feels a little bit like the death knell but then he's like alright well let's read first I'm like aha we do the read and it's like 
it's pratfall city because he's got to be and you know the, the read is like goes swimmingly well and i can feel the whole room change They're like this guy doesn't have to be a great singer <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. I ended up getting the, I ended up getting the part, but it's the Alan coming of it all. It's just like, look, you know, like let's have a couple of really fancy, yeah. great singers in your show, and then we can have me. You know, it's like we get, do we have a slot for, yeah, you know, <laughs> this guy. It's crazy because I don't think, I mean, just that you brought up Alan coming because I don't think you could have pulled any other name. Like I loved the performance so much. I would like. Like, not changed my life, but like, but if you had followed that, like, oh, did you see Alan coming? Oh, yeah, he was amazing. If you had followed up that and s- said, mm. is he a good singer? Mm-hmm. I couldn't mm-hmm. have answered the question. Yeah. Like, truly. So your point is well taken. Like, I, I would probably have said yeah. something like, I yeah. assume, yeah, yeah, he must have been because he was so good. Um well, you may have changed my life today because I I keep getting approached or I have been approached to do some musicals. I've been nervous. You got to do it. I feel like uh, as a guy who's done like, you know, a couple thousand musicals and sucks, you know, like there's always that complete terror. <laughs> but you know, as well as I do, like good things can come from that. You know, <laughs> like good things can come from like, all right, I'm just going to work as hard as I can to not make a complete and utter fool of myself in front of all these people. And then like you, you, you know, you're literally fighting for survival, you know, and everywhere you are around you, at least my experience, everybody is like much better than you in at least one <laughs> facet of being able to tell the tale. And so it just like, it sharpens your game a little bit. You become like better at survival. You become like the things that you're good at, you have to really hone them. You can't take a day off. You know, you have to work as hard as you can and it makes right. you better. You know, it just, you know, <laughs> I have a decade of terror for me. Like, Oh boy, here we go. I remember like uh, I did this play urine town and I remember before going on to Broadway for the first time, I'm about to make my entrance and I have to sing shortly thereafter. I remember like the lights coming on and like the countdown happening. I remember in my head going, who the hell do you think you are? Like that was ringing in my head. What do you think you're doing? You know what I mean? And it's like always a constant fight against like, oh boy. You know, like just trying to like, all right, let's see if I can get away. Let's see if I can get away with this one. But it's you're not going to go on and go like, oh, I'm really surprised by that. There's nothing that they can throw at you, I think, in front of a camera that you're going to say, oh, that terrified me today. Yes. You know, like you're just, but being in front of like, the audience and doing a musical, you know, there's, there's, there's built in terror there. And yes. that's not a bad, in terms of like living your life and experiences and stuff. Like I, you know, I assume you're going to win a Tony for the next thing. And I'm going to be so furious when you're like, you know, I always wanted to, I know get a mention in no talk of this. No, I'll bring it. I will bring it up for sure. I'll bring it up. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, I, you will Thank get, you. you'll get thanked. Okay. You'll get thanked. <laughs> The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction. 
anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at zyn.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, back, back to Canada. You're doing theater, you're doing musical theater, you're doing a little bit of everything. You, like Pamela Anderson, uh, do some work for Labatt Blue. I feel like that's the first time we've been using the same sentence. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty oh, sure. Really? That's good. <laughs> oh, no, wait. There is another one. That Tom Cavanaugh, he's no Pamela Anderson. That's the other sentence. Oh, yeah. right. I, that was my other joke. Production yeah. in Canada. Similar to the United States? Oh, yeah. I mean, you do some others up. Jake and the Kid. Uh, is an early television is, show that you do. This is throwing me, the fact that you've put in this much. I feel like i got to up my game and provide you with some, ca- some kind of, one some might kind of entertainment. Um, thank God for the Stalking. internet. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. I think, like you, I don't like talking about myself. Um, it's And I, that's all we, we are doing on this yeah. stupid thing. But um, I, I appreciate you and respect you, so I'm going like, to do my, my best. It is the same. Because of the cultural difference between the two places, it provides you with something that I think is, I don't know if the word is necessary, but extremely helpful 
to a young actor in that the the grips are are uh, yeah, they're moving the C stands. You know the the gaffers. You know fixing the the keynote. Like the it's all the same. The sandbags we're putting the sand sandbags down. It's all the same set. There's a confluence of blundstone boots. There's you know there's a lot of swearing and smoking and <laughs> as long as you do your job well, you get to keep coming back. I've often felt that like the crew in many ways are people that figured out that their favorite subject often in school was recess and they figured out how to have recess full time where it's like, look, I can do anything I want. I can wear this and I can say this and I can, I can do this and I can have these tattoos and I can wear the shirt and everything is fine because I'm good at my job. Right. And you know, that's, that's kind of how it is. It's like, if you love what you do, then it's not, it's not kind of work. It's all the same feel. It's all the same kind of thing. And then, cut and that's a wrap and you go out there and nobody <laughs> knows anything about what show you did and what you're doing and this is not my line this is a canadian another canadian actor said that there's a star making ladder in canada but it lies flat on the ground and so so you know in a strange <laughs> way because of our our cultural differences you know like in america you're you're going to celebrate this kind of uh different from the pack ability and you're going to promote it. And in Canada, there's more of a socialism aspect to the idea that we're all in this together. Let's not be showing off and, and doing all these things. If you look at like the difference between here's a sports analogy, if you look at the NBA players and you know, their, their personas and their platforms, and then you look at the NHL people you know, and it it doesn't have to be that way, but it's kind of almost almost famous. Be like if you're from Timmins or Kirkland Lake, you know, you're like you don't need to make a big show of yourself. <laughs> and so it's for a young actor that wants to be famous, it's not the route that you you want to take, and that's not a bad thing because the result of that is if what you want to do is just be famous, you'll be weeded out. Right. And what will remain are the people that love to do it and want to do it and want to do it for a living and don't care about acclaim and profile. They're there going to work. We're, we're there. I'm there going to work on Jake and the Kid, which uh, a show I adored, you know, set in the Saskatchewan prairies with the stunning, awesome beauty wall to wall, you know, fields and big, the giant big sky of the Canadian prairies, a show that I absolutely adored going to work on. And I don't know that anybody saw it, you know, and I know that it ran for two years, you know what I mean? And that didn't matter. Like it didn't, it didn't even factor into the equation. So right. by the time I started getting, and then, you know, a decade of musical theater, you know, Broadway has its own groups for sure. But in terms of like the, the giant scheme of like what actors get known, it's, it's relatively small. And so by the time you gain any kind of profile, you don't really care, you know, like, or you don't like, you're like, yeah, okay. That's, you know, like I, people are now saying, Hey, be on Conan, but you're, you're past the part of being seduced. And I think that's in a strange way helpful because yes. what you want to focus on is telling the story as best as you can tell the story. That's right. That's right. And also without those external factors, which almost necessarily comes in in terms of getting publicity and all of those things in the United States, just having the, the ability to do your work without those external distractions, 
especially as a young actor who can actually then learn what it is to be acting with the grip who's smoking and moving that like doing his job totally fine. But all of those things as a, as a young actor getting on set, those are obstacles that you have to, that you have to overcome. And so not having those external things to me seems like that seems really cool. It's huge. I think it's, I think it's huge. I think of now with social media, you know, I, I do this television show. It's a superhero show that I direct and act in. And, you know, it's the superhero shows are generally populated by young, attractive actors, you know, and then you've got like, you know, a couple of dudes like myself and Jesse Martin, another like, you know, from Rent, another huge Broadway Mm -hmm. guy. But he, um, I look at young actors who are getting famous at the age of 20. And I think it's great for bank accounts and all that kind of stuff. But like you say, like, the mistakes I'm making and the overacting I'm doing on Jake and the kid, like I'm getting, you know, like every day you're getting a little bit better. You're always trying to get better. And if, you know, just this maelstrom of attention is focused on you when you're 24 or 25, 26. And, you know, like, like any other profession, you hopefully keep improving to this day. I still feel like, gotta, gotta try and get good. You're always trying to, trying to get there. Right. We, you know, I grew up in a, in a way like, you know, if I had had a massive amount of attention on, you know, I think the, the, the early days and the stuff that I did on film, they'd be like, well, we should never hire this person again because he's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, I don't know about that. Cause you, you come out of the gate pretty no, but hot, I, I, but I hear, what you're, even, like, I hear I, what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. You know, I've seen some stuff on CBC, you know, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation where, you know, I've got like, right. Oh, right. You know, long hair and, uh, I look awful and, um, and I'm awful. I'm awful on camera, awful, you know? And you're just like, holy cow. Like, how did they not like, just like, uh, cut, hang on a second, fire him. <laughs> that person gets that person, that person gets stay, stay, stay. You're like, it's just, and so, but then you like, you know, like you, you see, I had a friend who was uh, an editor and I got to sit in the, in the edit and, you know, I had a director who, you know, invited me into the, into the edit because she was like, she was like, you know, you have directing ability. You kind of know what the camera's doing. This will help you learn. And it was, you know, massively instrumental. Also you get to, you get to gauge your performance, you know, and you're just like, Oh my God, that's, that's terrible. You know? And then you start, you know, like you start improving, you start figuring out what, you know, you need to have the thought and be in the moment and actually listen, you know, and all those things sound so easy. But as you know, like if you can do those things, then actually you probably will turn in a good performance. They're much, much more elusive and slippery and hard to do, harder to do than they sound. Right. I want to talk to you about acting in theater and on the stage versus film and television. Do you consider it to be different versions of the same thing or is it different for you? Brian, that's such a good question because I think, I think you, you sort of want to say it isn't because you're telling a story and yet there's a difference to telling the story all at once and the immediacy of the audience and the electricity in the air and the feedback that you get that, as you know, like, you, you know, like if you and I are acting on, on camera, like we're going to know when we're, we're in the zone and we're going to know when we're, we're not in the zone. It's going to be up to you and I to feel that, you know, and theater is the same, but there's also, there's a palpable energy that, you know, some kind of ephemeral code that comes from a thousand people 
in the stands. I very early on, like, you know, tried to figure, was trying to figure out what the people who I thought were amazing were doing, you know, and I tried to watch, you know, every, like if you, John Malkovich burned this on stage, I think 87 on, on, uh, on Broadway, like you watch Malkovich, the play is great, but he comes in there like, watch this. Everybody sit the fuck down, watch this entrance. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and then yeah. Brando in streetcar from the first thing, like just, there's just um, these are just, there's a, there's 150 things streep. And, you know, like, uh, I remember her and Kevin Klein, Sophie's choice going like, why is she, what the hell? And I, me- I remember like dissecting those things. This is way back, obviously, but I was so young and th- they were so good, you know, and they all seem to be so in the moment, you know? And so either on stage or on camera, and I was like, well, there's something that Brando's doing on stage or something Brando's doing, you know, um, on camera that feels like stage to me. And I got to try and figure out. And so I found this quote by Brando about the differences between the two. And I write it on all my scripts, always have. What he said was, you know, in theater, you have to show the audience what you're thinking. On film, you just have to think it. The caveat being that you actually have to think it. You can't just act it. Like, you, you know, you, you've been on on camera and on stage with people who are no other line is coming and they're prepared and they just say the line. That doesn't mean they're having the thought behind the line. And that's the difference between, I think, a good performance mm-hmm. many times and a, and, a, and a poor one, where it's like you are actively, something is going on behind these lines that are coming out of out of your head. And so, like, you know, Brando also said the same thing with theater where he's like, you know, and this is sort of thing like if anyone's seen anything that I do, it's a very poor imitation of what he said, but I really firmly uh, believe it. And Pacino the same has said the same sort of thing, where it's like the character is a cage. You build the cage and you can just rattle the hell out of it. You know what I mean? It's like, how does Pacino go yeah. to go, go and get away yeah, with it? She yeah. got a writer. It's like, what? How does he get away with yelling that? Like, what? <laughs> What's he doing? But he's built this thing where the guy does that and it doesn't seem... You know, I'm going to take a flamethrower to this place. You're just like, wait, you mean you're going to take a flamethrower? <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's this giant thing. And you're like, okay, yeah. he's built this character and now he can rattle the cage. So I don't have anything uh, new or, or better to offer as an answer to your question than that. But that those are pretty good starting points. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I find it fascinating. But I, you know, when I made the switch, for me, it was there was a harder edge. I wasn't sort of bleeding back and forth for the most part. And so I, I always sort of refer to it as, as me changing careers Interesting. in a way, because I, I felt like there was just such a different mindset and focus in some ways, even though the central skill, if you will, is the same, the training behind that is still the same. It's just executed in such a different way. Well, the community of the theater, like the community of it all, like I'm sharing the dressing room, we're, you know, like my part might be quite big, but there's f- four of us jammed in here and yeah. we're all sharing the same thing and we're all working together, you know, to in the, and it's completely equal and we're all taking the same five minute break and nobody's getting extra special treatment, at least in the productions that I've been involved in, you know? And so- yeah. Yeah, th- that thing is like, hey, it's like Delphi. It's like where it all started. We're all like this community. We're all doing it together. Whereas film, you know, is, uh, you know, on television, very, very different animal. What was the decision behind moving to Los Angeles? 
Well, here's the thing. I never moved to Los Angeles. I'm in, uh, I, I stayed in New York uh, um, and have lived in New York. Uh, I have children. They were all born in the city. Um, and it's funny. I, you'd shoot out in L.A. all the time and people would be like, wait, you don't live here? It's like, no, I live in New York. And I remember you'd always get like, how'd you get How'd you manage to do that? <laughs> I always get that. It's like, well, I, I came for Broadway and like, and I'm not like an East Coast, West Coast basher, but New York City is much more. It's me. Uh, you know, I like to walk. It's boots on the ground. It's like, there's the gym, you know, there's the, uh, there's the deli. There's the, you know, it, it was just that kind of thing. And what got me there was that guy, Philip Rose, the director was like, did you bring anything real to sing? Yes. And he, he ended up, you know, bless, bless his cotton socks. He cast me in the, in the thing. And next thing you know, I'm in living in hell's kitchen, walking back and forth to 52nd street to the Broadway theater, you know, every, uh, every matinee and every night. So I was like, this is, I feel like I'm supposed to be here. And, you know, so yeah, I've uh, been in the city for like 25 years, I guess. Wow. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. 
together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The early 2000s, it's at least worth mentioning, you do get cast as in a number of shows, big shows at the time, Scrubs, Providence, and then ultimately become the, what do they call it? Titular? Titular. I don't, that's such a weird word. That's the word that just popped into my <laughs> head. You become the titular. Titular? I'm not saying it right. I Tit- think you are saying titular? it right. I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to help you out. Good luck. Fuck. I don't know what it, I don't character know. of yeah. Ed in Ed with the aforementioned Julie Bowen, your experience while being the captain of the ship. I mean, not directing or writing, but I being the being number one on the call sheet. How was that different for you? Or was that just an extension of the other work? Did you, did you feel added pressure? Oh no, I, I, uh, no, I did not feel, uh, added pressure i i felt but like every now and again something comes up and it's just like we're all supposed to be here you know right. i worked with name drop i worked with mike farrell from mash and i remember him you know he would just regale me with like stories and it's just like yeah the that was the moment the moment in time and you know those he said to me like you know those guys we would get together on friday night to see where we were going for dinner on saturday night on our day off nine years in you know what i mean right and he said, and I remember him saying one like verbatim again, verbatim. He's like, can you imagine that? And I could, because Ed was like that for, for us. Like it was just, you know, that show had initially been, you know, it was positioned for CBS and then they didn't pick it up. It didn't outright shelf it. And Rob Burnett, who ran the late show with David Letterman, who also produced at the time, Everybody Loves Raymond, which was a giant show for them. Um, and he had leverage, I guess. Um, and he asked for it back because he felt something about the show, which we all did. Like I'd gotten a couple of, in strange ways, I also auditioned for a couple of other shows and had to turn them down in the year, literally 365 days we waited to see if Ed would go anywhere else, you know? Mm. Um, and it just was a sense that something about this thing was bigger than us at the time. And so I kind of held out for it, which on paper was an insane thing. Cause once a show doesn't go on a network, it's it, it's over. Yeah, it's it is. And then Rob took it to NBC and said, you know, like, and they said, well, okay, well, let's reshoot the pilot. And then they picked it up and then, you know, it got like 22 million or something. And it's like, and it's like debut. And it was thrilling to be sure, but it didn't feel like, can you believe it? Like, it just sort of felt like, yeah, we should just stay with this horse, you know, I remember Burnett saying the same thing. And Rob is, I don't know if you've worked with Rob or know Rob at all, but Rob Burnett is one of the most intelligent and entertaining humans, not in the, not in the world that we live in, but just like in the world itself, like just as good as they get and as smart as they get and smart and humble and power don't often collide uh, well. (laughs) And, you know, when I got offered a lead in a, in another show that did go and, I was shooting a movie in Utah and we were waiting to see NBC hadn't even picked up the thing. We were just in this limbo. And, uh, he, he was basically like, you know, like you should take this other job 
Um, I was like, I don't, I, I'm not built that way. I sort of feel like you need to have that. We need to get a full at bat. You, Rob Burnett, need to get a full at bat, and you're you're at two strikes basically. We always do this. We like we when the show got picked up and he would try and explain what he wanted the character to do, he would use sports analogy. And what was great about Rob is he can come up with 50 in a minute. And I, to entertain myself, he would start explaining to me like, you know, like it's, it's like you're going on the blue line. And then like, you feel like, oh, wait, I feel somebody circle. You got to circle back. And I wouldn't say that. I just kind of look at him. And then he'd be like, you know what it's like? It's like your goalie is pulled, but you need, and he would just keep coming up with like a whole bunch of different things. And I would just like, and then after about, Three minutes with me just like waiting. And he'd be like, you're doing it again, aren't you? And oh my God, check this out. This is a picture of somebody's, and I didn't even plan this, Brian. I swear to God, I didn't plan this. I never showed right. this picture anywhere, but this is my office. And like somebody snapped this on Ed while he was trying to explain what the character should do to me. Um, can you, can oh you see that? Gosh. Yes. There, that's me on, and that's Rob. And I'm, he's just going through. Sports analogy after sports analogy, and I'm keeping my <laughs> mouth shut because he's so damn entertaining, right? But he said something like, he's like, you know, everybody can like pick the thoroughbred in the gate that they think, but nobody knows till the horses run. You know what I mean? And, right. you know, like, and in a strange way with, with Ed, like it was just, it just felt like it, something here should happen. And then we got in, like you say, captain, it's like, you know, I'm willing to fight for my coworkers and co-actors and do that thing. And I, you know, I, I definitely coming from an athletic background and being a captain on sports teams, I, I know how to do that. That being said, it very much felt like theater in the best way in that this, there, there, there was an equality across the board for all the actors and many shows aren't like that, but the good, m many of the good ones are. And so in terms of responsibility, it just sort of felt like everyone had it to one another to, you know, to keep the promise of this, of this thing alive. Those were joyous days. And not only that, but the crew was family and friends, just as the actors were amongst themselves. And it was a whole kind of like sometimes a show has its moment in time and you're fortunate enough to be part of that thing. And this was, this was one of those. That's awesome. I love to hear that. You know, that was shortly before I moved to Los Angeles and I was uh, a big fan of the show and uh, just loved the heart. And people talk about this, uh, about The Office, so it's not me saying it, though I'm saying it right now. It was a show where you could really feel that the people who were working on it cared about each other. So it's nice to, I mean, I could feel that watching. It's not surprising, but it's still nice to hear you talk about. And I think people don't know that about I mean, I think people know about the success of The Office and it's a beloved show, but that it also didn't have like, hey, let's do this. Yeah. I remember talking to John, I think John Krasinski's first on an episode I directed of Ed, I think that was his first professional on-camera moment. Really? Yeah. I'd met him at, uh, um, at the after offices in New York. We walked up the street together. I just, he was just a, he just moved from Boston and, you know, you know how you, some people like, oh, this guy's got it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he just sort of felt like. I felt like I should know him and he felt, I guess he should know me. And so then I gave him like on a show I was directing, I got the cast and I don't think he had a network credit at that point. And I still feel bad to this day that like it, it would happen relatively soon. And I was like, do you want to play the part of like the subpoena server? And so he, he did that and uh, it was just me and him in the scene and he was the best actor in the scene. <laughs> and you know, to this bad, to this day felt bad that it wasn't a bigger, 
role, but I didn't direct all of them. That was one that was like, hey, you can do this if you want. And he did. But what's interesting is about knowing if somebody's a good actor, just to go, just to take the thing off the tracks for a second, talking about John, like when you direct, you're in the edit a lot. And I had this wide shot that I use and, you know, he has to come in midway through the scene. He kind of shows that there's some kind of argument. And then I turn, turn around, boom. Are you Ed Stevens? Yes, you've been served. And then off he goes, right? But in the two minutes that lead up to that, he's completely busy. You know, he's kind of looking around to see. He kind of orders a drink from the bar, kind of looking around, like backing up, scoping it out, kind of, oh, just before, oh, I think it's that guy, you know, and times his walk all the way down right to when I'm about to turn, and there he is. You know, and that sounds easy. It's not easy. You it's know not it's easy. not easy. No. It's not easy at all. And Krasinski was like, bang, bang, bang. I watch him in edit, and I'm just like, you know, when you have a good feeling with good people and it happens, it's incredible. You do musical theater, obviously a lot of comedy and drama, Canada, Ghana, the United States, but I can't find anywhere where you had played a, a superhero or supervillain or worn tights other than Shakespeare. What was that like for you stepping into that world, a world obviously with a lot of lore, a lot of history, people care and believe passionately in it. What was it like for you to take such a departure for yourself and to, and to jump into that world? I think the interesting thing about questions and ideas like that, just I sort of feel like you're always kind of trying to, I mean, Julie Bowen said, she, she just never thinks she's going to get hired again. The big question that sometimes doesn't get uh, addressed is the question of, in capital letters, will they have you? I'm sure that right. I would love to have been a superhero, an Avenger in my 20s, you know, and people don't want you or the opportunity doesn't come up. And so that's always a giant part of it is like, right. who will have you? And sure. you need sometimes to be aided and abetted by people like Berlanti, where, you know, you've gone through some of the fires together and had poor results. So he and I forged in fires of cancellation and stuff and like the sword of Damocles hanging over our head all the time yeah. and how you react to that. Like, look, I'm happy to be here. I like this show. I like being with you. I like saying these words. After a while, it becomes almost like a repertory uh, group with somebody like that where they're like, I can rely on this guy. You know, so I don't think I'm anybody's choice to be the Joker to the Batman the way I am in this Flash show where I'm the reverse Flash to the Flash. Apart from Greg Berlanti, I don't think they'd have me. Not only that, because they didn't want to tell me, they didn't want to tell anyone initially who the villain was because they were afraid of it leaking. They were like, hey, do you just want you want to play this scientist? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and, like, and, then, and then the second phone call was like, come on, play the scientist. <laughs> and I was like, that's your approach? Come on, come on. The second time you're like, come, come on. on. And I was like, no, no, I don't want to play a scientist. Like, uh, I'm like, no, you know, then they're like, they literally like fly me out to Los Angeles, you know, like I'll never forget. I'm in the halls of NBC and Burbank. It's on like a Saturday, I think. And there's nobody around, Brian, nobody. And yet, you know, the executive producer like still goes and like closes the door <laughs> so that nobody will overhear what he has to say. I'm like, what is happening? Am I going to get mugged? And, and he says, the role we really want you for is Eobard Thawne. I'm like, I don't know who that is, <laughs> you know, which I don't say because I right. don't want to seem like a complete idiot because these people, comic book people live for this stuff. So I say, keep talking. Right. <laughs> and, and he says, he's the reverse flash. And I'm like, mm -hmm. and then he goes, he's the villain. And I'm like, 
you could have saved yourself $2,000 by just saying that over the phone. Because you know? I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. Of course I'm in. Like playing the villain, wearing a, wearing a super suit. Right. And to address your question of like, did you ever think that would happen? It's like, A, no. B, thank God that it is, you know, 2023 and the era is like Ben Affleck can go on the donut diet and still jump into the Batman suit and he can be fine. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's not the Adam West of your, where they <laughs> right. put the spandex on and I'm so sorry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that nowadays, you know, the suit, like I literally had like the suit that I wear is like 10,000, 10,000. Yeah. Dollars. And like, I've had like five, five fittings. I've also played the flash. So I have to wear his red suit. I wear my yellow suit and it's like artisans and artists crafting these suits. And like, I often felt like, you know, like the backstage genius of the office catching the person like John Cleese said it famously. When I was a young person, I used to think that the funniest thing was, you know, I'm sure you know this quote, but he was like saying the funniest thing ever was a, a, a normal person completely losing their mind, like just having the biggest breakdown and just kind of like screaming and going off the rails. He said, as I got older, I realized the funnier thing was the man watching that man, yeah. you know, which yeah. is basically that's the, that's the genius of the office. Right. And yeah. so I've often felt like for these fittings, if they knew what they were doing, they would actually have somebody as this person's getting fit for a super suit, film the people like, just like staring at you <laughs> and they reach out and they kind of like tug a cowl right at your face. <laughs> And they sit and they just like, hmm. you're like, okay. You know what I mean? Just prod, push, right. bang, prod, pull, you know, but like, uh, and then you ultimately end up being the most grateful beneficiary of their work because you put on the suit. It fits you like a love. You look good. It's just like, thank heavens. Thank heavens for them. And that it's, yeah. And that it's not spandex. Yeah. Um, I just want to hear from you. For me, it's a dream role. Because you are constantly playing different characters, different versions of yourself. That's a dream for me. How has that been? Has that been challenging or just fun to dive in and find different versions of yourself to play these various characters that Reverse Flash inhabits? Well, not to bore your listeners, I, I, I assume by now if they're still on, they're on for the rest of this, right. you know, but I mean, you know, so um, because of Berlanti and I, the shows that we've done are being canceled, you know, we, we went into season one, just, we're just going to tell Batman versus Joker. It's going right. to become me. And you don't know that I am, you think I'm like his mentor. And then I end up being the reverse flash. And so it's basically flash versus reverse flash for 22 episodes. And in the big finale in the 23rd episode, it's me versus him giant fight. And he wins. Cause guess what? It's called the flash. Right. You know, the network's like Warner brothers is like, we want more of these, many more of these. And so for me, it's like, well, we, you can't tell that story again. You already did flash versus flash. So I was like, thank you. You know, see ya. I appreciate it. And then Greg was like, well, wh what would it basically take for you to come back? And then that's where the idea was hatched to like, what if you're the same character, but from, because it's a multiverse, there's many earths and there's like, you know, we could, while we're waiting for the yellow suited guy to come in and wreak havoc to central city, I could invent another character that has the same name, but, and looks the same, but is different. And that's where that came out of. And so every year it was like, I think I want to play an Indiana Jones type character. Right. Or I remember season, I think it was season four where I like said to the showrunner, Todd Helbing, I'm like, what if Sherlock Holmes is French and is trying to track down me, the reverse flash, that would be a good storyline. 
And he was like, I don't know if we can get away with the French thing. I'm like, no, we can do it. It's going to be great. Trust me. <laughs> He's French. He's Sherlock, Sherlock on luck, you know? And like by this time, we still hadn't gotten canceled, but then they were like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and so for an actor, like if you, you know, if you're lucky enough to be in a long running show, like that's, that's kind of everything right there. You're going to play the same character and you're going to be grateful for it. Like to, to have something like this where, you know, like you get to play the villain who's the same and then invent a new character year after year on a show that ran nine years is kind of like, That's it's awesome. insane. And so that rarely, rarely, rarely happens. So, I, you, you, I couldn't be more grateful. You stepped out a couple of years ago, and now this is the ninth year, as you mentioned. It's uh, it's final season. Are there feeling? Are you going through the feelings, even though you're not there every day? No. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's different. Like, I think a show like the <laughs> The Office is different. I think a half hour is different. You know, I think you know how it is. Like, an, an hour can be like you know, grueling. An hour that is like law and order can be grueling. It's a whole big, giant production. And after I left after season six, it felt like I've always kind of felt like you want to, you want to do your, the best you can to not leave on the far side of the mountain and you don't want to overstay your welcome. And I felt that staying longer would be overstaying my welcome. Caveat being that I knew that Batman's going to need the Joker. So I had an incredible position where I could leave the show, but would I knew that I would be called back because I that's the main villain, you know. So it, it couldn't be uh, more ideal because you didn't have to like get teary eyed and bid farewell and be upset. And sure enough, every year they would call me back to do a little bit, so I got to like see everybody and hang out for a little bit, but also not do twenty two <laughs> in the right. dark of night. You know what I mean? And so I, I feel like when we said goodbye. You know, I think we said goodbye at the right time. It was like four and a half years, I think. But I remember it being really difficult. I remember that being extremely emotional. It just felt like your your heart was breaking, even though you knew it was the the right thing, you know? And I think nine years on a superhero show, everybody's like, cut, did you cut yet? Cut. Okay, bye. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and I, I, that's just one person's opinion. I think there'll be many actors and actresses on that show who, you know, have a, a different thing. But only, I think, half of the OG cast made it through, <laughs> you know, a full nine anyway. So um, they may have different, they may have different um, impressions. Well, you're certainly not looking for things to do, you're doing a ton of directing, I understand, including directing the premiere of Superman for the CW, mm-hmm. another tights wearing hero. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Uh, you have <laughs> yes. a Broadway musical yeah. that's in the works and a new game show coming up for Game Show Network. Jeez. Hey, Yahoo. You've done your homework, man. Um, I mean, you're you're everywhere. And you know what? This country, America, is better for it. <laughs> Canadians, they lost you long oh ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> I heard 25 years you've been here. Uh, You're gosh. famously from America now. Uh, <laughs> You're grand. You're a grand human being. Yeah, Tom, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time coming on. Uh, You're patient and tolerant. 
Let me just say, let, I'm going to inject with like you're patient and tolerant. This is a guy who talked about himself for an hour. And I feel that just mercy on your and your listeners. But you're, oh, no. you're generous. You're generous to have me aboard. I appreciate it. It's just great to talk to you. No, through this work, don't let's not mistake it. I have I have a ticket in the express elevator to heaven. Don't mistake me. <laughs> exactly don't right. mistake me. But <laughs> I wanted to get to heaven and he didn't want to wait in line. I, <laughs> I don't, oh, yeah, I don't yeah, do hey, lines. Hey, 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 Brian, come on. No, come on forward. No. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't do lines. Yeah. I don't do lines. <laughs> no, nope. sir. You I don't, don't now. do lines. Not <laughs> you anymore. Don't uh, thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. Real pleasure. Tom, thank you for joining me and, and really for becoming my new bestie. I'm going to see you soon. All right. To be continued, as they say, in a flash, if you will. Thank you. Thank you very much. Listeners, I'm going to see you next week for another episode. I can't wait. I hope you will join me. I will talk to you then. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Diego Tapia. Our producers are Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan, Papa Zachary, and our intern is Sammy Katz. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by the one and only Creed Bratton. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.